You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, I'm Pastor John, um, John Roth, uh, one of the pastors here, one of the members of our team at Thrive, and I've been on vacation for the last three weeks, and um, so I might be a little rusty this morning. So I think we, but beyond that, I think we just need some time in prayer before we get into the message. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the source of all goodness, all wisdom, all truth. We thank you. We thank you for being here. We thank you for your word, your love, your mercy, your grace, especially revealed in Jesus. We pray that you would reveal it to this world again through us in these days, in these days of uh, disorder and chaos and struggles and doubts and questions and hope. And Lord, you know where we're all at this morning as we are gathered here. We lay our burdens before you, our lives upon you. We ask you would open our ears, that you would calm us, Lord, so that we can hear what you would have to say to us, and Lord, do your work in us this day. Bless all the churches in our area, Lord, that are proclaiming your word today. We thank you for places like Summit and uh, First Baptist and Zion and Hope and Gulf Coast Presbyterian. Lord, we know that there is really only one church. Um, Many different expressions of it, Lord, and we just pray that you'd make us faithful uh, to your word and your grace, that we could see all things through that framework that you've given us in this world, the wisdom and the grace that we see in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we continue in this series in this book of James one of the most practical, pithy books in all of the New Testament, and it's got um, some poignant words for today in James chapter 3. And uh, what's fascinating about this is I've been able to study this for the last three or so weeks on vacation. That's kind of hard to do, studying on vacation and getting ready for a sermon, but you can do it. So I've been marinating on these words over the three weeks, and let me tell you, a lot happened in those three weeks on our na- on national and internationally, and these words just were like a clarion call again and again about all of this stuff going on, and we're going to talk about that today, that what is wisdom and the wisdom that God has for us. So let's read these words from James chapter 3, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a question. Who is wise among you? 
right? Who is wise and understanding among you? What a question to ask in our day and age. Over the last few weeks when I've looked at this text, I've wondered, is there anyone wise among us anymore and has understanding? Because it seems like it's been all over the charts as far as what I've seen on Facebook to what I've read in the news, what I've heard people shout and push, their agendas, you name it. It's just all over the place. So who is wise among us? Now, here what is amazing, though, is James is not pointing this passage outside, but to the people inside the Christian church in his day and age. And he was really asking them, among you, is there anyone wise? Is anyone got understanding? Well, then show it by how you conduct yourselves. You know, there are thousands of pieces of advice that are given to you every day that you get to hear. People will call to you, advertisers target you, merchants sell to you, coworkers advise you, musicians try to woo you, politicians appeal to you, and of the thousands of pieces of advice you get, actually, it all boils down to two different voices that are being called out according to the book of Proverbs and I would say according to the book of James. And that is the way of wisdom or the way of folly. That's the way the book of Proverbs speaks it. You can either listen to the foolish words or you can listen to the wisdom words that you hear among all the clamor in our society. There are not a thousand different voices, but just really two. Now, the problem with this, according to James, and I think he's got a, a good point, is both of these call themselves wisdom, okay? And the way James describes it in this text is there's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom from heaven. But those are the two voices that are being spoken to you and to me all the time by all the appeals, by all the advice that people give you, and it's probably worth as much as the advice, you know, it's worth, it's free advice, and that's about what it's worth, often. But both claim to be wise, both claim to be the way to live. So how can you tell the difference? Because both say they're wisdom. Well, I guess we have to ask the question, what is wisdom in the first place? And the place to look for that answer is not going to Merriam-Webster or Cortana or Google and Google, you know, ask, what is wisdom, and get the answer. The best place to look is the scriptures themselves, and I think in the book of Proverbs, which is the tantamount of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, we get an answer to what wisdom is really all about and what is going on there. In Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is personified. It's this long kind of analogy used of what wisdom really is and how it's set up. In Proverbs 8, 22 to 36, Proverbs, um, wisdom speaks as if it were a person and says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was 
daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So what is wisdom? Basically, this is the way to say it. God has designed the world in such a way He's designed it in wisdom as its foundation so that you can participate in how he has designed life to work or you can rebel against it and God's creative design for how things work. And the way of wisdom is to walk and align yourself with the way God has set up this world in wisdom. Another way of saying it is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom from Proverbs 9, verse 10. In other words, to walk humbly, to walk openly, to be teachable, to listen, to be receptive to God's ways and will, to say, thy will be done, not mine. That is the way of wisdom. And that's not the only way to live. Like James said, you can live by wisdom from heaven, or you can live by the worldly wisdom. And a lot of people seem to be going in that direction. In fact, it's the way that most people want to go. Jesus spoke about this when he said, strive to enter the narrow gate, for wide is the path to destruction. The easy way, the majority way, is not the wisdom from above. Okay? There are two different ways to live. When you come down to it, it's the way of wisdom or it's the way of, well, worldly wisdom or the wide path, whatever way you want to say it, but there's always that choice. And like I said, the wisdom of the world claims to be wisdom. It says, hey, this is the way things really work. If you really want to get things done here, this is what you have to do. If you really want to get ahead, if you want to have the good life, if you want to do it right, if you want to really make your name known in business, if you want to get ahead at your job, if you want it, and you can hear it come right after that, what they're telling you you have to do. Okay? And so you can hear it from Madison Avenue to Hollywood to our politics to just the pragmatic business world. This is the way it works, and we got to work it this way. So James is addressing the Christian church a small minority right now in the midst of this world. And he is speaking to them and saying, is anyone wise among you? And he's basically speaking this to the Christian church because he realizes there are many Christians in his day and age that were living in spiritual apartheid. Okay? They were basically saying, oh yeah, this God thing, this is great. It's like they were living in a house, right? And on the first floor is the real world, business, political life, civic life, family life, how things really work, facts. And then there is the spiritual world, which is the attic. You know what you put up in the attic, stuff that you use once in a while, but you don't get around to too often, stuff you don't want to throw away, 
you keep around, and on occasion, you pull it out of the attic, like, you know, at Christmas time. You got all your decorations up in the attic, so you bring them down on the holidays. Or you go up there when something, oh, I got to get that now because it's important, because it's like, oh, we have a crisis. I've got to get that now. And so he was saying that Christians in these little bands of people who were scattered around were starting to say, hey, I know this Jesus thing is great, but look at how everybody else is living and we got to live this way too because that's the only way we're going to get ahead. It's the only way we're going to survive. It's the only way we're going to get what we need in this life. It's the only way. And they were living in this spiritual apartheid, compartmentalizing. Our society has done this. Our society has constructed a division between facts and values and relegated Jesus to the area of subjective values and put him in the attic. That's where he belongs. We'll pull him out on occasion. Okay? And that's the kind of thinking that James says in this letter. If you read through James again, he says, ah, that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Let that sink in for a little bit. Ouch. Now, Proverbs 8, that we had read toward the beginning of explaining what wisdom was, being the foundation of the world, the thing that was laid out before everything else, and God set up everything in wisdom. Proverbs 8 says that God's wisdom is uniform. That there isn't this apartheid, that there isn't this spiritual real distinction, that there isn't a secular spiritual divide in our lives at all, that Jesus Christ, in other words, is total truth. He's not just truth for me, oh, but it's not really true for you. He's not just subjective truth. He's not just spiritual truth. He is total truth, and he speaks into every area of my life whether it's sexuality or politics or business or how I conduct my family or how I think about things, you name it. There is no area in my life that he isn't part of. Um, Abraham Kuyper, a theologian, put it this way. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And now that might just make you squirm a little. It might just rankle you a little and say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about my independence? I'm not some just, you know, servile little automaton that just, I'm not a robot that just does whatever. I, I've got my own ways. And there are other people that might say, that's what I hate about religion all the time. They're always telling me what to do, when to do it, and how. I want to discover it for myself. I want to follow my own path. And my question to someone who says, I just want to follow my own path and do it my way is, um, who told you to follow your own path? <laughs> you know, where's that wisdom coming from? Let's read again. James 3, 14 to 16, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't claim that that is wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. 
Here are some worldly wisdom phrases that came out, I think, in the last, well, over the last 20, 30 years of my life. It's been around forever, but it seems to have come out clearly again in recent weeks. For instance, here, the louder you yell, the more you're going to get ahead. Push your agenda. Um, Or this, never admit that you're wrong about anything, but definitely point out the faults in everyone else. Or how about this? Use everything to your advantage and to push your agenda. Take everything you can at every possible argument and keep debating it until the nth degree. Or finally, you know, well, you know, it's okay to be selfish because you've got to be sometimes and put your needs first. You might have heard these things before. I don't know. And Paul, uh, James says, this is not the wisdom from God. And it might work short-term to live this way. It might work. You might even get elected to do this stuff. You might be able to pass some law that is to your advantage or to your business's advantage and against everyone else. You might be able to live this way for a short-term. It might even work long-term. You might be able to build your whole business on these types of principles and make millions and millions of dollars and then finally someday be honored with an honorary doctorate from some institution because you donated a little to their, you know, to establish a chair of some whatever. You might be able to live that way, but this is what also comes with worldly wisdom. Disorder, chaos, and every vile practice. You see, what happens is when you try try to just take advantage and use everything to your advantage, you start treating people as objects. Have you noticed how in our discourse these days, the other side is treated as if they're less than human with very little respect? And when you start treating people as things to be used, you also dehumanize yourself. You lose intimacy in your relationships. Everything just becomes transactional at best. You lose peace in your neighborhoods. You welcome chaos into society. And you get more lawless just trying to enforce your side of the equation all the time. James says that's exactly what happens. These words are prophetic. That's what's going on. That's how our society is set up. This is the way of the world. This is the way it works. And we've got to push it. And what do we get? Chaos, disorder, and every vile practice. Now we say at Thrive Community Church, our mission is to We exist to bless and disciple people in their relationships with Jesus Christ and others so that we create Christian community. In other words, what we're really saying is we're going to walk the way of God's wisdom. Okay? We want to be aligned with God's way this world is set up creating harmony and peace. Or as James in verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Did you get it? Try using that as a litmus test for any 
situation and say, huh, is this pure? Is this peaceable? Is this gentle? Is this open to reason? Is it full of mercy and good fruits? Is it impartial and sincere? Then I guess it might be God's wisdom. So I think the first thing that we have to say about God's wisdom is this, that it's really countercultural. It is that narrow path or that narrow door. It's not that wide path. It's not what most people take. And so Christians, I think James is saying here, you take the long road, the harder road, the road of love and self-sacrifice and service. You do speak the truth into situations, but you don't force the truth. You don't just try to get your way. You look at God's ways. You pray for God's will to be done. You figure out a way to bless others and disciple others rather than just push others and legislate over others and demand from others. So when do I hear this kind of countercultural word? In the last few weeks, I've heard it a couple of times. And there's probably a hundred other examples I could give. And probably most of them didn't make the media in any way. Because, hey, it wasn't sensational. It wasn't hyped. It wasn't going to get more eyeballs on the screen. And so we don't see it. But when I heard Alton Sterling's son in Baton Rouge get up and say, please, if you're going to protest, do it without violence. No violence gets us anywhere. I'm starting to hear a little of God's wisdom there. And maybe when I heard President, our former President George Bush speak at Dallas, and he says, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions, and this has strained our bonds of understanding and common purpose, but Americans, I think, have a great advantage to renew our unity. We only need to remember our values. At our best, we honor the image of God we see in one another. We recognize that we are brothers and sisters sharing the same brief moment on earth and owing each other the loyalty of our shared humanity. I start to hear God's wisdom. It might be drowned out these days. It might be overlooked. But I believe he's calling us as Christians and as a church to still live in God's wisdom. I think James is saying to us today then, God's wisdom is, not, um, is such that we first seek to understand rather than to push our agenda. That we attempt to be impartial. That is, take yourself and your ego out of the equation and your advantage and look at the whole, what is best for everyone involved, as best as you can. By the way, why do people push their own agenda? Why do they look to what's to their advantage? And when they do, what do they do then in response? They try to justify themselves. Have you noticed? Well, of course. Well, look at them. They're being more selfish. Well, they need to go first. They shouldn't have done that. And you can hear it again and again. And all of these things are just ways to justify myself because I'm better than, I'm, I've got more of a right to. You name it. It's self-justification. And James would say, and the framework that we are talking about here in the book of James says, you don't need to justify yourself. You have been justified by Jesus Christ. You don't have to prove anything to God. You don't have to prove you're right. You are declared righteous. You are forgiven. You are given mercy. 
you are given grace. The framework of grace allows us to drop this kind of rhetoric and to seek to understand, to seek to serve, to see people through the eyes that God sees them, first and foremost of all, to live in that way of wisdom. And I think it's not just counter in, um, countercultural. God's wisdom is counterintuitive. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Do you realize God's wisdom in this world does look like foolishness? And it's not just the one and done situation, but always. So just think of that prime example that Paul just spoke of here in 1 Corinthians. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Just think about that. Here you have your royal son, the one and only, and you have him born in absolute abject poverty to a teenage girl who is unwed, has never been with a man, who is engaged. And the first thing that happens after that birth is they're refugees in a foreign country because of the powers around them in Egypt. Don't give him any extra protection. Let him live in obscurity. And when he does speak truth to power, he doesn't have an army behind him or money behind him or any self-interests that are promoting him. And then, instead of becoming victorious by triumphing over his enemies, he succumbs to them and becomes a lamb to the slaughter. And he dies in shame with the guilt of the world upon him and everybody thinks he's the worst of the worst being crucified, which was a curse to the Jew and absolute humiliation to the Gentile. And yet, through that event, through that life and death, the resurrection says God has done the greatest work he could ever do for this world. He brings about reconciliation and peace and forgiveness and a new way for all of us. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. You see, Jesus exemplifies these words of James. He's the description. Jesus is pure, impartial, full of grace, mercy, open to reason, meek, and compassionate. He's counterintuitive and countercultural, maybe, in the way that he lived. But what James says in verse 18, comes to pass. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the result of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that is the result he is looking for us here at Thrive to be in this community and world. I think God is expecting us to be different. 
when we do engage in discussions, we do it in such a way, whether we're on one side of the issue or not, we do it with respect, with compassion, through the framework of grace, seeing the other as fully human. Someone who is created in the image of God, though as marred and messed up our lives may be, and as broken as we are, and as rebellious as we are, Jesus came to die for sinners of whom I'm the worst, Paul said. That's the framework. You see, Jesus is total truth. Total wisdom. He's the way to live. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So, though we've tried to divide and say this first floor stuff, this is how business works, this is how we live, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I do for leisure, and we've compartmentalized our life and placed God in the attic all the time. Proverbs 8 says God's wisdom is such that it's not in the attic and it's not even on the first floor. It is the absolute foundation. That's what... Proverbs 8 says it's the foundation of the way the world is set up. It's the foundation of all creation. It's the way it actually works. It's the structure of the universe. It's the ground of our being, as one theologian put it. Jesus is the ground of our being. He's the very foundation on which we, everything is built. And building on him is the only way to live. And living according to his ways is the only way to go. So what's the next step for you? I don't know. Maybe if I didn't kind of touch on something today that you like, ooh, uh, that was a little uncomfortable, or I can't believe he said that, or I didn't like that because that was a little pointed towards me, um, I'd be surprised because this stuff makes me think twice about the way I've responded in situations and how I've set up my life and how I talk about things and others, Okay? But so how do you get from living in this worldly wisdom to living God's wisdom, right? Do I just make a decision and like, oh, I just got to get over here? How do I do that? What's my next step? I think it's counterintuitive as well because you don't take the first step. You don't take the first step. Today, God has already taken that step in Jesus Christ. And not just 2,000 years ago, he's stepping in right now with his word, with these words of James again and again, like he did, I think, over the last three weeks for me. He kept stepping into my life and saying, okay, here I am. I am pure. I am peaceable. I am open to you. I am here for you. I want to speak truth into you. I am stepping into your life. I don't care how messed up it is. I don't care how broken it is. I don't care how rebellious you have been. I'm yours. He takes that first step. And then, I think James says, our next step is what the Bible calls repentance. That is, yeah, God, I guess I've been living with my agenda. I put you up in the attic. I get you out on occasion. Forgive me for that. And look, You might be looking at your life right now and seeing there's some chaos and disorder going on and maybe you want something to be a little more peaceful in your relationships. Well, the next step is to say, Lord, that's what I need. Today during Holy Communion, we'll have, I think, at least one individual up front, maybe two, to help pray with anyone here. Um, And Phil, myself, others at Thrive, 
we're available to listen and just hey, we're not perfect at this. We're not always living in God. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm aligned with God's. It's like, no, we're struggling with it as well, but we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together so that we realize how easy it is to run our lives by our self-interest and jealousies and what we want and trying to get ahead and what's to our advantage. But we also realize that we can live with God as our foundation for life. That he's laid it all down. He's poured himself totally out so that we can live in harmony with the way God set up his whole creation and we can be his children. And we can start to embody the words of being pure and peaceable and impartial and sincere and full of mercy and good fruits because that is whose we are. So let's pray right now. Lord God, you see the chaos and the disorder the accusations flying in our world, the worldly wisdom being touted and spouted. Forgive us. Lord, we pray right now, wherever uh, we are at, that you would come and inhabit us and instill in us your Holy Spirit, that you would be the ground of our being, the foundation of all that we do, and that, Lord, forgive us for the times we split you off and pushed you out, we welcome you now, Lord Jesus. Be our wisdom, our redemption, our sanctification, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Be our purity, our righteousness, our peace. Be all of those things and more, Lord, and through us, bring that peace, that truth, the love, the reality of the way things are to this world. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.